0: This is Father Bonamichelle Chapman, and this is Father Patrick
1: Mary Briscoe.
0: Welcome to God Splaining. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God Splaining wherever you listen to your podcasts. Here we are. I love that new opening. It's just fantastic. It's like NPR stuff. Okay, so that's great. Um, this is a standard episode, you could say, but this is also kind of. Should We say this is a sort of God guest splaining episode because <laughs> Father Patrick Mary. We now, Father Patrick Mary and I live together in the uh, Dominican House of Studies. Um, we were in the same class, uh, as, as all the God Splainers are, and uh, so we lived before, but then our second tour of duty, you could say we're back here, um, living together, and so you know, we we pray together and we're, we're out together a, a good bit, and so I see him, but. I, He's been missing recently from the community for a couple of weeks. Um, and I don't notice this all the time because I'm usually reading early modern German texts and not paying attention to much else. But I, I do miss, Father. if you know Father Patrick, it's hard to miss his presence. Um, so w- when he's not here, I can tell. And he was, you know, and he has been, he's been out and about sort of things. And usually it's to like Chicago or New York or San Antonio or, you know, the jejune places, jejune places but recently father patrick mary has been visiting eastern europe uh where have you been
1: yeah it, this was it, it was really an incredible trip and, and and as you say i was i was gone for a bit so right, right about 2 weeks i just under 2 weeks uh i had the opportunity to travel actually in poland um where i was uh working along the polish ukrainian border for um for several days uh and really, I was all over the country um, on a on a, a median humanitarian mission is probably the most accurate way to describe it, uh, to see, uh, to cover, to share how uh, how the churches at work during uh, during the middle in the middle of this um, uh, in the middle of this Russian and Ukrainian war, uh, which which we've been seeing and hearing so much about. So it's really a, uh, uh, it was it's really a terrible crisis, one that moved my heart. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not Polish. My my family's not Polish, um, but happily, just after uh, I was ordained a priest as Father and many of our listeners will will recall because I talk about it literally all the time. My first assignment was to was to Poland, and I got to live there for ten weeks and work on the World Youth Day project with the Knights of Columbus. It, it was really, really just an incredible experience, um, and because of that, uh, I I got to know a lot of uh, the Polish Knights of Columbus. So the in Poland, uh, many, uh, many, uh, many of these guys um, who are these Polish members of the Knights of Columbus um, have been involved in in the war effort, um, it, particularly with humanitarian relief in, uh, in the war effort. So I was hearing their stories, um, and I I wanted to go and to support them, you know, to show solidarity with what they were suffering and uh, their efforts, and more more importantly, to to tell the world what I was seeing.
0: Mm, yeah, and that's. Um... We'd like to hear because we we hear news stories and things we thought it'd be great to you know uh talk to to a a correspondent who's actually there sort of on place, but to get a feeling for in this just this episode hear some stories about what what was going on there um how was God maybe involved or not involved uh, in the church with the church what people were experiencing, and then we'll talk about maybe um things that you brought back with you in a way i'm not like show and tell stuff unless you have some of that um but like you know s- spiritual things are insights uh changes ways you've you've been praying differently perhaps for the last day or two or things for this uh for this lent um, and as we enter into of course this is uh holy week um so uh when this episode is released um uh, but uh, so we'll start with just but just the very uh, briefs of details about um i mean who did you who did you go with um uh, and what, what was what was the kind of yeah, the, the framing of it, the details of the travel.
1: Yeah, so I start. I started to get into that a little bit, right? I w- mm-hmm. I was uh, I, yeah. I went principally um, with the Knights of Columbus, uh, who who, as I said, uh, you know, are established in Poland, right? So so, and I think right there, that's really important to understand. This was not the Knights of Columbus coming as an external organization, right? this This wasn't a, this wasn't the entree of a foreign organization. This was. An organization that that that's established in Poland. The knights, the knights have have many councils. They have many members. The guys are really active. Um, they have a very great devotion to Blessed Michael McGivney, the American founder, uh, the saintly American founder of the Knights of Columbus. Um, so that that was really remarkable to see all these Polish guys, you know, de- mm-hmm. devoted to our saint, you know, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. this this uh, this Irish American who served the people of of New Haven uh, in in New England there. Um, so, so that, that uh, it was really striking, and uh, and I'd I'd seen that in my previous trip, um, but but I loved seeing that again. But um, but I was traveling uh, with another Dominican friar, with our brother Father Jonathan Kalish, who is the director of chaplains for the Knights of Columbus. Um, and as I said, I we had worked together on the World Youth Day project, so I knew, so I knew a lot of a lot of Polish Knights, uh, but but also a lot of Dominicans. And that's really where our story starts, uh, because mm. when Father Kalish and I. Uh, were flying into warsaw we were planning to stay with our dominican brothers in freddo which is that dominican provincial in warsaw the provincial headquarters the headquarters of the order in poland uh, but there weren't rooms available because they had given all the rooms away to uh, to women um, uh, and their children to ukrainian refugees so right so right away we were impacted by the war we were able to get rooms with the redemptorists um, so and you know lest you think too ill of the reject you say oh those freaking redemptress you know they're not they're not hosting anybody no don't think that that's not true Mm -hmm. because right away when we walked in um we met ukrainian refugees uh that the Redemptorists were staying and that became a pattern um throughout our whole visit every place we went every religious house i stayed in every family that hosted us was was also hosting refugees um so we were staying you know, side by side with, um, with uh, so many uh, of the women and children that have been driven from their homeland because of the war. And that's, 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 uh, that is overpowering. You know, I was not ready for what it was going to feel like to just show up and and immediately uh, be, be, be living with uh, alongside, uh, suffering with in a way, um, these women and their families.
0: Sure. Okay. Well, that's that gives us a good on train. You were there about two weeks now. So, um, yeah. Tell us the we talk about the human side of things, the things that people might have might read about. But what was your what was your experience of the people? Um, what were they? What were they like? What were the what was the background? It sounds like a cultural anthropology experiment. But I mean, just what right. was the what was the what was the general? T- we could say the the mood. Um, over those two weeks, now the situation keeps changing all the time. But, um, what was the yeah? What what did you see? Uh, what did you hear? Uh, what was going on?
1: Yeah, I'm certainly by no means an expert in uh, Eastern European history, right? So, so I, I've I've no I, I've no substantial comments to make about uh, <laughs> about the, uh, the 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 Polish history and uh, the the relationships of Poles and Ukrainians. You know, there, there are a lot of people that have a lot of interesting things to say about that, but I'm not one of them. So what I what I can say though is that uh, Im- immediately when we landed, Poland felt like a country of war. And I never experienced Mm. that before. Um, And I had thought, okay, you know, we're we're going on this humanitarian mission and I'm going to, you know, showcase uh, a lot of the work of the Knights of Columbus uh, and other great Catholic organizations like Caritas Poland, which is the equivalent of Polish Catholic Charities or uh, the Knights of Malta. Um, You know, so so I was thinking like kind of, um, I guess I would say I had the the mentality of a kind of natural disaster. But right away when we landed, um, Poland just felt, different. Uh, it felt different mm. to me. And, and there was very much a sense of uh, just, I, I would say, quiet unrest. I, I mean, one thing that was remarkable, I, I speak very little Polish and no Ukrainian. But even I could tell the difference in the languages, and you could hear Ukrainian all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you certainly saw right away women and children. And we saw them throughout throughout all of our travels, we were all over the country. And you, we would be driving through these remote villages. And you would see ukrainian women and their children um the uh, these refugees sort of walking by the roadside so it was a very the crisis the crisis is very present in fact um a few days ago i was texting a colleague at um, alatea who's who's polish and works for our polish edition and uh this this colleague was telling me you know i just can't get over seeing these women and children at our playground So this colleague of mine has Mm -hmm. has a young child and goes to the playground every day with the child. Right. Um, And and uh, he just said, I I cannot get over seeing all of these women and children and never any fathers. And while they're at the playground, you know, they they call their they call their fathers, they call their family members. And the children cry and just wonder when they when they're going to be able to see their family. members. So it's it's very the reality Mm -hmm. of the war is very present in everyday life in Poland. Um, and yeah. i i was i was not prepared
0: right okay and what did so you sent you traveled around the all over the country and things um can you share a bit of like what what were you doing there i mean obviously sacrament I mean, it was a humanitarian thing so of course you were right. but you but you were there as a dominican priest so um and with the knights of columbus so what um what kind of what, what kind of things were you involved with like what was the daily i mean every day was probably different i suspect but what was the more of the kind of things that you were doing um, when you were over there? And, and yeah, what were you what were you up to?
1: Yeah. So the so the main hat that I was wearing was uh, was in media. So uh, I was talking to a lot of the volunteers and a lot of the refugees to hear what they were experiencing. I mean, you, you would think that the language barrier would be significant, but it wasn't. So many young Ukrainians speak English with ease mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I had a lot of very, very moving conversations with them. Um, and then alongside the Knights of Columbus, we, we were working to organize those relief efforts. So I participated in loading trucks um, and uh, helping to coordinate those deliveries into Ukraine so that there's a, the, the one of the major relief efforts of Poland, right, is trying to get humanitarian aid into Ukraine uh, right now. It, it remains to be complicated because uh, leasing companies don't want to send their trucks into a war zone. Mm-hmm. So you have to. You have to find ukrainian trucks but the the trucks and ukrainian drivers are limited and and it's just wildly problematic so even even people with the best intentions and there are many of them are, are having difficulties getting supplies into ukraine itself um so so i was court helping to coordinate that um when we arrived uh we were trying to envision how uh how the knights could improve the service that they were offering so just to give you perspective these little border towns where thousands of people are crossing a day and for about between six and 20,000 people were crossing at the the height of it. Um, just after the war began, it's a little town of a hundred people, you know, there's nothing Mm -hmm. there. And just suddenly you have thousands of refugees. Yeah. Literally walking across. Um, you know, so when, when people cross on foot, they need a place to sit and warm up because it's cold. Um, you know, starting to warm up a little bit, but in, in March, um, you know, it was very cold still. Um, so the the Polish Knights of Columbus had erected um, pretty early on, just a few days after the war began, they erected um, a series of tents. You know, so they were sort of like tailgate pop-ups. Um, and they mm-hmm. put up some walls and had some makeshift heaters and really did a great job to get something going. Um, and then that site was, uh, was improved um, thanks to some connections we had from World Youth Day. So we worked with a contractor. Uh, production uh, and event planning company, um, uh, fantastic, gallic gentleman that we, we used for World Youth Day, helped us to erect a, a more quasi-permanent site, to, so to get a tent with a floor, with better walls, better lighting, um, that kind of thing. So there's a, a, a rather large, you know, kind of quasi-permanent structure there at Rabenna now, and then we expanded the night service to other border locations, including Budimirsh, um, and then we visited a number of other sites to see what kind of aid uh those other locations needed or to see uh to see what the best practices at those sites were that we could imitate at ours so. sure
0: okay and this that sounds like the structural part of it but you also mentioned all the the conversations you had with people um reporting and checking in and getting a feel for things um maybe some stories wh- who did you meet um people that, yeah. that stuck out and maybe from both the refugee side and maybe from even from the the Polish side, what um mm-hmm. what kind of what what any stories that stick out that um that were affected you?
1: So two of my favorites, one is a, a brother of ours in in, uh, in Poland at um, Krakow. Uh, so Krakow is there is the study center for all the Dominican seminarians in Poland, and one of the deacons who's preparing to be ordained a priest and, and is in the middle of his comprehensive exams was overseeing the welcoming of refugees to. Their house of studies to uh, Holy Trinity Priory, um, which is which is just really amazing. To the Priory in Krakow, uh, they are, were hosting when I stayed with them um, about fifty four people uh, over over the course of the few days that I was at Krakow. Uh, all told, uh, by the time that I was there, they had hosted one hundred and eight. I'm sure that number is pro- it's probably mm-hmm. doubled by now. A um, uh, hundred and eight people, um, and all of this was being managed by Deacon. While he was studying for his comprehensive exam, so he'd get phone sure. calls in the middle of the night. You know, do you have a bed? And he'd get up and try and arrange it and welcome people. Wow. And uh, it, it, the, the the sense of urgency and crisis is, is very real. It's not being exaggerated at all. And it and it's very much based on personal connections. So, you know, a friend of a friend hears there's a room in the Dominicans, and a name gets passed, and the number gets shared, and and that's how that's how someone lands there. Um, so so he, meeting Andre was was really a great treat and. He's really a lovely hero, but uh, but another another conversation that was um, more difficult for me was talking to a young Syrian woman who had fled several wars already, um, mm. who had who had fled Kharkiv, and um, as we were chatting, I uh, I I reached a kind of difficult moment in the conversation where I realized, uh, i you know, as best I could realize what she was going through because she she had no home. Uh, Mm-hmm. and she was just kind of freely envisioning where she would go to build a life in the future and i think i think the existential weight of that is something that is not captured by the news um and and i i myself hadn't really thought of it until i was speaking with uh with her and realizing yeah i mean i don't know i don't know what i would do or where or you know where or, or where i would go where after home is gone where, what's your next plan uh,
0: yeah well that's i mean it's. I think that you said the war zone aspect. I mean, we haven't. America has been blessed with, um, not having <laughs> real war on our soil for a long time, shall we say? Uh, you know, we kind of did it to ourselves basically in, back in the old days. Um, but to be in a, a place where, yeah, there is there is war. That's that, people are being displaced. That you know, you don't get to choose where you get to move, but you have to move if you don't want to die. This sort of thing, or if, if I find this is it's just a striking existential disconnect you could say to us and i imagine it's a bit uh, a bit of a vertigo experience when you first get over there um and it kind of changes i suspect it changes how you you kind of viewed uh, daily events you could say or you know what what was what, what the importance of a day and the importance of what was going on um at any given point because we can get just lost in, in minutiae you could say not entirely minutiae but these situations have a way of waking you up, I suppose too, so I suspect um your priorities changed a little bit over there um based upon just even even participating with the people i suspect to have an effect on your kind of outlook and views uh, on on daily on daily situations um let's talk a little about uh, the 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 Catholic aspect of things over there um sacraments what uh, prayer. What was the? What was your? So you were a reporter, of course, and you're um, listening to stories. But you're also Dominican, helping out there. What was the? You know, what was the presence of the church? Uh, the presence of the sacraments. The presence of the priests. The presence of the people praying. Um, the, those the the Catholic. What was the religious aspect of this? And how were the people religiously? And how was that? Was that helpful? Or was that what was going on there?
1: Yeah, it was very deeply moving. I mean, as always, God shows up where you don't expect God to show up. Uh, you You could plan for God to be in certain places, and God is going to do whatever He wants <laughs> at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So one so one, one of one of the places that that I found myself having the most frequent conversations, which I really wasn't thinking about, was with the humanitarian volunteers, you know people that had come from all over the world that were themselves not necessarily religious, but mm-hmm. were looking for something to do and were surprised to find the Catholic Church you know, at the end of the earth in this in this nowhere village in Eastern Europe, um, to, to surprised to find such a strong presence of the church. So those were some of the best conversations, you know, speaking with them, with Brits or Americans that were themselves uh, disaffiliated or, or lapsed Catholics in some cases. And mm-hmm. there were some very beautiful moments uh, of people who hadn't been to confession in years returning to confession because mm-hmm. they because they found priests in this place. Um, and, and and that for me was a powerful experience of the kind of witness that the church uh, offers when we when we as the body Christ, really live Matthew twenty five. Uh, it, it touches people's hearts. And again, you know, the, these uh, these volunteers were there because they were trying to do some good, and they couldn't believe that they would find American priests there that that wanted to do the same good that they wanted to do. Yeah, it, it was very moving.
0: Were there many? So were there um the the people that are volunteering and coming over obviously a lot of them are polish but did you meet you so you met a bunch of americans brits people from all over
1: um people from all over the world another another really difficult conversation i had was with the, and only difficult because of the weight of it right um mm-hmm. you know all the volunteers are very pleasant there's very much a a, a prevailing uh, a prevailing spirit um, of engagement right people are there because they want to help and and it's it's the volunteers are creating among themselves a, a, a positive atmosphere, despite the very heavy, um, despite the very heavy nature of the war. Um, but another great conversation I had was with a firefighter from France. He's from Marseille, and he's been a firefighter for thirty years. And uh, we were we were chatting casually in French, and um, he he just kept sa- he he repeated the word "war" several times because he couldn't believe that he was himself saying it. Mm-hmm. and he said you know i've been a firefighter for for decades and i've helped people after all kinds of natural disasters you know, after tornadoes and floods and hurricanes and uh, wildfires and I, and i've been there to do humanitarian work all over europe but never have i been called anywhere because of a war because of mm-hmm. a war. i can't believe there's a war um and, and so that's one conversation that 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 has really stayed with me just the, the the disbelief and and many people are saying this how could there be a war in Europe in 2022, and I think it raised the war. Raises a lot of difficult questions for us about human mm. nature, um, about you know the, the the illusion of progress. There's some of the same questions that the pandemic has has raised. You know, the the illusion of our own safety has been dispelled, um, and the, these are yeah. difficult to face.
0: Yes, I think that um, I suspect that many people have the same experience that I had in, in the situation where I kept thinking it was similar to the pandemic. That I kept thinking. I'm gonna wake up one day and this is gonna be like oh just kidding you know uh we don't have this not global pandemic no big deal back to normal and i felt the same way at the start of the uh, of this experience i thought you know just wake up and say oh you know putin's just gonna say, oh just kidding you know what no no those weren't weren't really bombing people this wasn't really a land war no helicopters that kind of thing um but it's not it's it's no it's it's entirely real and i think you're right that it, it raises questions reflection questions which we want to shift to about the kind of bigger issues of, okay, what does this have to say about the human condition? what does it have to say about our relationship to the world? What does this have to say about Christ? What does it have to say about the church and just on the the human condition aspect of it it's a it is a reminder that um things are getting better, things are getting better, progress you know indoor to- indoor plumbing, you know, talking to grandma over skype whatever that things they're getting better, but the humanity is still we're still humans, we're still sinful, fallen humans um who get greedy and envious and prideful and 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 weak and all these things right i mean this is we're we're finishing through holy week here and it's uh uh the cross is still valuable uh shall we say uh, that it's still necessary uh that his his saving work and his healing uh is important as much as the elevating that grace provides and this war uh, this event this happening reminds one that things bizarrely enough can go forward and backward at the same time that that aspects of our lives can go forward and that's i guess that's that's true in in the microcosm too in the individual that there are things about us that are going they're getting better and but at the same time hand in hand things about us that might be slipping too and this happens on the on the global level so what are um you can add to that if you'd like any reflections but also what so what have you been, as you've been meditating, taking away? It's hard not to imagine that you've spent some time thinking about these things, and they've been percolating, or whatever metaphor you'd like to use here. Um, what what are some takeaways, or what what are some reflections on, say, bigger issues uh, that you've that you brought away from this? Both existentially, you could say, spiritually, philosophically, God-splainingly?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the, I, I mean the first one I, I kind of already gave away. I, I hinted at that already, which is just to say that, that that God will be in places where you do not expect to find him and that's that's part of the delight of how God works um and so uh, you know I was offered the invitation to go on uh, go on this trip it was not not planned it was very spontaneous I believe a lot of a lot of this was um really really brought to be uh, you know by the Holy Spirit um, to to help um, to raise awareness and and offer some actual, aid in the midst of a very difficult situation so i think that uh i i think that i um i know that i'm very grateful for the grace to have been able um to to say yes to that invitation and just to participate in it and it it doesn't suffice ever in christian life to to say okay i did one thing for you lord and that's plenty right (laughs) but but we have to return over and over and over again to to continue to allow ourselves to uh, to to follow the Lord where we think He's leading, even even when those uh, even when those plans are are um, you know out of left field, as this very much felt for me. Um, but but I'm very grateful for that. So so finding God where where we might not expect to find Him, um, I, I was deeply moved by the religiosity of the Ukrainian people. Um, I mm-hmm. think the American response would um, is sort of looking at this situation and saying, "Well, where is God in this?" When I talked to Ukrainians, there were two things that they would consistently say. They would say, "Close the skies." <laughs> that was the that was the first one. Mm-hmm. They would make a kind of political appeal, and then the second thing they would say is, is "Pray for Ukraine." And it and I don't think that was prompted because um, because I, I looked like a religious person because I certainly don't like, don't look like their priests. So I I don't believe I don't believe that that was a natural connection. I think that that's really just what. Uh, what they what they believed so their their sentiment was not that they had been abandoned by god as maybe we might expect them to feel mm-hmm. but that this was actually a moment of confession and reliance on god
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think there's uh the I mean, this is the mystery of the of the cross i suppose there's no justification for the evil that's done evil has no reason ultimately of itself moral evil at least uh, physical evil earthquakes and stuff it's just if you're going to create a world with tectonic plates you're going to get earthquakes sometimes but moral evil, um, moral evil. You could create a world with no moral evil. It's perfectly imaginable, um, even if not in all the details. And yet it does exist. Um, so there's, there's there are mysteries, mysteries here. And yet at the same time, to kind of attach that mystery is the mystery of the cross, the fact that that God comes as a man and dies, uh, and we and we hold that up. Um, difference, of course, between Catholic and Protestant churches often is our cross has a body on it, has Christ's body on it, uh and that we find this significant that we don't that yes, he's resurrected, um, but he his passion is the important part, and I think part of that's the Catholic realization, not just the Irish realization, that this life is is a veil of tears that it can that we are you can be very blessed, and many of us are. I'm, I certainly am one. i no particular sufferings, I should say, at this point. But many of us do go through. Many, many are not, or many are spared, uh, are not spared of that. Especially, in, I mean, Ukraine. And C.S. Lewis says at some point that suffering is God's. He says in pain, in the problem of pain, suffering is God's megaphone, and you don't like that. No one likes that image, I guess. But, but I can't admit, but that it's true. That the time right. that I have been most prayerful is when the time when i have undergone in my family particular sufferings and i've never prayed so hard uh, regardless of it seems to you know regardless of whether he's answered or not it seems um but i that i that i have been driven to god in bizarrely enough in the most difficult times uh and the most unintelligible times as opposed to it's the times where things are going well that you can kind of get away except you have this, the religious life brings us much structure and having images around and such it's why we're here i think is because uh you know um without 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 the religious life i wouldn't think about god that much but it is it is just, it seem to be true that in suffering one i guess because the options are so limited you either go to you either turn to god uh in love and hoping in love and in 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 the victory at the end or you, you just realize it's all for naught and uh, nothing matters. And those are stark suffering, especially at this level, I think leads to stark realization that either nothing matters or God loves you. And you've got to decide which one of those you think is the most accurate description, end of the day, about what this, what this life is about. And we can skip that for most of our time in, our, in, in, in America or in certain lives. Um, but suffering re- raises the question of whether you, whether you do believe. That nothing matters, or that love alone matters. That's it. You have those two choices, really. Those two choices.
1: Nice. That was a good little, good little slip in of your motto there. Love alone is credible.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, Hans and in are You just, you just got to go back to that. At the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, truth really matters. That's really important in being smart and stuff and Dominicans. But at the end of the day, it's it's love. That's it. You know, that's it. It's either lo- love or nothing. You know. Yeah. Caritas, uh or nihil. So. Yeah, but you probably saw. I mean, you certainly saw that. Now, uh, before we go, uh, what are you taking away from this? Uh, do you think it will? I mean, have has it affected your 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 preaching or your prayer or something? Have has it been an open? Has it been a, a part of your heart? You could say, Leon Bloyask, I suppose, um, that has been opened by just seeing these people and this experience. And um, and obviously, there'll be more. There'll be more to come from that. But um, at this point, any any kind of takeaway from
1: your for your own life in this. Right? Well, one thing that I will certainly share is that um, in the United States, um, service tends to be pretty ideologically driven, um, you know, by particular causes that are taken up as the banners by different communities within the church. And the kinds of service and the ways you love uh, correspond to which community you find yourself living in, um, whether it be something that you do for immigrants or something for the pro life cause, right? Just a few Mm -hmm. examples. One thing that was so extraordinary about the war effort is that it was completely free of mm. ideologies because the need was so very great and part of that freedom part of that freedom of course it, it was the chaotic the, the situation of the war part of it was the nature of poland which has divisions of course that are different than the united states not necessarily as uh, as noticeable to someone like me but part of it is uh, uh, part of it I took as a serious um, as a moment to reflect on what the nature of that kind of you know what we might call humanitarian work, but, but really really loving service um, means mm-hmm. because that that is a real power um, and, and the witness of the gospel was on full display in that. And that, that's something that that's something that I know I need to need to continue to pray uh, pray and reflect on and, and uh, assess how I live as an authentic witness of Christ.
0: Yeah, well, war war is a great leveler of of people, but also ideological kind of things that fade away and the important things that really matter. I think it's true for any crises, and and families know that in crisis situations, the little things seem to go away and uh, focus on the essentials. Um, Thanks again to all of our supporters. uh, We want to say as we close this episode out, if you'd like to support our work here at Godsplaining, check us out at patreon.com forward slash Godsplaining. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or any place that Elon Misk has purchased a, a, a commanding share in. Um, like, subscribe, leave a five-star review or six or seven or whatever those things are. Um, But don't lie about it if you want to leave it for. But, I mean, you know, whatever. Uh, Visit godsplaining.org to shop our merchandise. Pick up some cool stuff. Check out the cool new logos and the colors and all that. Just a feast for the eyes for those of us who can see color. And get dates and information for upcoming godsplaining events. So, in particular, there's some openings still, and there are retreats in July. If you want to check that out on godsplaining.org. But uh, thanks again for all of you who are listening. Thanks again for uh, it's good to have Father Patrick back. I'm sure you're happy you noticed I was... Filling in on some lexios, but now Father Patrick's back so you get his, his joy again. And, and uh, thanks for sharing with us. But thanks for listening to us. Uh, please be praying for us, and we'll be praying for you. God bless.